This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Podcast guests and their clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Three Wise Monkeys podcast, a weekly podcast that's all about the markets and investing. My name is Andrew Page, founder of strawman.com, and today I'm joined by Matt Joss from mattjoss.com. Hi, Matt. Thank you, Andrew. I'm reasonably happy to be here. Reasonably happy is about right, as you can probably tell from uh, our voices. Neither of us are feeling particularly chipper today, yeah. and uh, poor old Claude's suffering from a, a lung infection as well. So, uh, you know, we are, we are not at full strength, but the show must go on. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? Yeah, so today we're uh, going to talk through picking over the crypto wreckage. Oh, so the crypto wreckage. The crypto wreckage, yeah. Um, you're, I believe, going to run us through Woolworths, who's just had a bit of news come out. They're pretty cashed up and a bit of a change of strategy, and, and we'll see what they're going to do with that cash. Fair bit of news there. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, lastly, something I've been looking at over the past few weeks is... Um, Financial shenanigans and accounting Ooh. accounting shenanigans that can happen. Something I've been looking at, how can I measure that quantitatively? Just going to talk through some of the stuff that investors can watch out for. I love that as a topic. There's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of things that I know now that I wish I'd known earlier. Probably could have saved me a, a pretty penny or two. So looking forward to that. But let's start off with picking over the crypto wreckage. Yeah, absolutely. Well, wreckage is probably putting it lightly. 2017 was just, do you remember you couldn't get into a cab, an Uber or barbecue? Like everyone was talking Bitcoin. You know, yeah. Uh, I mean, thinking about this, I was actually thinking, do you remember that trip we did for the Gold Coast? Yeah. Um, and so Andrew and I went up there and I think two different Uber drivers both just randomly started talking to us. This is in like December 2017. So the yep. very peak. Two different Uber drivers talking to us about what to invest in, uh, to invest in crypto, basically. Yeah. We like, didn't say what ones. we did yeah, for yeah, a living yeah. or anything. It was just, we were just right into crypto. All on the plane back, I was just sitting there looking at some charts of my stocks, right? Like so, of my portfolio or something. Yeah. And whatever chart it was must have been going up because the guy sitting next to me just goes, Hey bro, you into crypto? <laughs> <laughs> like just everywhere I was just bombarding and I, I didn't own any crypto. Yeah. <laughs> this is when it was up like, I don't know, a thousand percent that year or something. So no. It was crazy. And I think it's safe. Is it safe to say now, like without being subjective in any way, shape, or form, that, that was just a massive bubble. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. It, it has to have been, right? Yeah. Um so things of how much has Bitcoin come back from the peak? Do you know? Yeah, so I checked out the numbers today. So Bitcoin got up to nineteen thousand seven hundred and eighty USD and Ooh. it's now about four thousand one hundred. So it's down about eighty percent. That classifies um, as a as a popped bubble. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty popped. Um the whole market I think got up to so all cryptocurrencies got up to about 830 billion at one stage wow uh, and now down to about 140-ish billion so down about 70 percent overall um yeah so it got got pretty hyped you could see it everywhere every man and his dog literally probably was buying buying coins at one stage um and it's all kind of the the tide has gone out now so we thought, you know, not that we're trying to um, reinvigorate that mm. craziness, and it, it really was crazy. I mean, it had all the ingredients of a bubble, didn't it? It was just like, there was a huge amount of FOMO at play. Yeah. 
there was like any good bubble, there was certain nuggets of truth to yeah. all of this that, that sort of set the groundwork. I try to make an effort at one point. I think I've got to get my head around this. Mm. And I, I was very, really very hard, hard, really, yeah, yeah. really hard. And, yeah. and yet it didn't seem to matter to most people. It's yeah. like, nah, don't worry. It's, it's the future. It's technology. <laughs> it's very frustrating because you could. it's very hard to really understand. But it was at the time easy seemingly for people to make a lot of money not understanding it at all. And people um, made a lot of money. And here's the, the other. So what, what, what was interesting about it is, okay, it, it got crazy. Things have pulled right back. Yeah. But it's still... It's still well up on where it was. Yeah. And there's like the market cap of crypto is actually still 140 still, billion. Oh, yeah. That's a huge market. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of got me interested, I guess, in looking at the space again. So it's over yeah. the past, it's been down almost 18 months now, I guess. So mm. it's kind of January in 2018 that it popped, you could say. Um, and it's kind of stabilized, I guess, now. But uh, so for me, it's been kind of like p- picking over the wreckage, as you could say, trying yeah. to figure out is there something in this space that is worth investing? Because just like the dot-com crash, right? There was a lot of hype and things got crazy. Yeah. But there's a lot of good companies that still came out of there. And if you'd been able to buy Amazon and the wreckage of the dot-com crash, you'd be a multimillionaire and, almost and, no matter how much you put in. And by the way, like all of the big narratives of the dot-com boom were mm. true. Yeah. Like commerce is going to change. The economy yeah. is going to change. Everything is going to be online. And yeah. sort of like, well, you fast forward to now and, oh, it was absolutely true. Yeah. So um, with so a lot of the hype now gone, maybe yeah. maybe there's something to be said for crypto. Yeah, so I've been looking over the space. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, the main things, it doesn't really, it's not radically different from uh, my investing in the share market is yep. the way I think about most investing, I guess. So for me, it was really, I guess, spending some time to get my head around it because as you say, there's like a steep learning curve just to figure out how to buy the stuff. Mm. But I look for the same type of thing. So I look for companies that have, um, I guess, that make logical sense why they need to exist. And there's a lot in the crypto space that didn't. But then that also have users and traction and adoption. Um, And that's been validated in some way. Exactly. Like there'd been a lot where there'd been a lot of people speculating on it and had raised other crypto money in this kind of, circle the self-perpetuating loop just like back in the dot-com days yeah but um there weren't too many that had real users so that's what i've been looking at over the past few months um and so a few that kind of areas that i think are interesting so why i think it's even worth thinking about at all is there are as you said some genuine technological improvements Mm -hmm. the first which is quite strange to think about is that um bitcoin allows for scarcity well bitcoin crypto allows for scarcity and digital resources so Normally, one of the great advantages why we love software is it's very possible. It's very easy to have a infinitely replicable with zero marginal cost. You know, it's basically abundance yep. and free. You can yep. send that pirated MP3 to everyone on Napster and you know, like, yes. to play that forward. Yeah. But um, crypto uh, currencies uh, and the blockchain, I guess, allows for scarcity, which allows for things like money. So right. Bitcoin is basically um, digital money, right, or attempting to be. Yeah. Um, well, the use case that has stayed around so far is the idea of using it like gold. So that's where a lot of this thing is like a, a store, store of value, wealth, which yeah. you know, isn't and, so and, good and when I, it's down 80%. Yeah. But, <laughs> a little bit of irony there. Yeah, but it has sort of, as you say, still stabilized at a, a total market cap for, of all of them for about $140 billion. So it's still big. Well, you can say the same about gold, right? Yeah. Like gold's had big sort of bubbles and fallen away. It's yeah, still regarded as a store of wealth. I imagine wealth and, when gold was first introduced, it probably took a while before everyone 50,000 years ago got on board. Yeah, so there's probably yeah. some peaks and Russell on the way. Yeah, for sure. But um, that's not the use case that interests me the most. Mm-hmm. So I like more real world practical stuff. I guess yep. if that was being used as a currency, that might be interesting, but it's not. Yeah. So um, there aren't too many though, unfortunately. So I've scoured the space. There's very few that have more than a handful of adopters. Okay. And the other thing to me is to think through like wh- what's a practical application of that? Um, what problem is it solving? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so there's one um, which I'm not um, advocating in any way or own, which is 
um, digital collectibles. So that's a scarcity thing. So like crypto kitties, you might have heard, which is literally like I imagine a collectible soft toy, but in digital form. Okay, that is one that has some continued usage okay um, and at some point there's probably some kitty that's worth like a million dollars or whatever like like trading cards wow okay. imagine like trading okay. cards um, and but those, that is impossible to copy yeah like exactly you, you have you have one that. of X so that's yeah. like kind of interesting but not much real world again right. you're still getting back to the same currency space one area that kind of interested me more broadly is forecasting so uh, there's a few um, businesses out there so I think forecasting is interesting because you could make a forecast mm-hmm. put it on the blockchain or whatever yep. um, blockchain technology you're using. And that's kind of an eligible, uh, you know, an immutable record of what your forecast was. Right. So when we think about forecasting, what the big problems with tracking people is they say, oh, I didn't mean that. Or, uh, you know, like I didn't say that or they make so many. So that's like something that I think can add real value is this immutable um, store of information yep. that you can go back and track automatically how that performed. Yep. So that's a, it's like an area that I think interests me within crypto. Is that similar to um, the use case for some of the cryptos with in, in contract purposes as well? So you and I, yeah. are like, oh, we, it's almost like we make a bet for one of a better word and yeah. we now have, an, again, an immutable, it inarguable is. source of what we agreed upon. Yeah, it is. I guess the tricky part with contracts is you still need a government to enforce that normally. Oh, it's, okay. You need for that you to work. You can still go, no. Nah. Yeah, pretty much. Like yeah. I think you need it to work. You need to have the thing that you're contracting about be digital and recognizable as well. So right. say that I contracted with you to sell a house there's no real proof on the blockchain that I gave you the house you know there's no digital way to do that yeah for some digital asset there would be I just there hasn't been a good use case so that's a tricky gotcha, one gotcha um, there's there's a couple of um, crypto coins whatever you want to call them out there projects um, Augur is one where it's just like a betting market so oh, yeah. you can say it's kind of like Betfair but completely decentralized oh, yeah. and so you can create a market for anything you okay. can say um, is Andrew Page going to be the next Prime Minister? And you could oh, go on there and lock it. and bet about that. And that yeah. is quite an um, interesting one because that leads to like a forecasting market because everyone kind of battles over odds and that is right. interesting. Yep. But again, the usage is still very low. Mm. So all of these are tiny. Like it's amazing how much money's gone in there with so little usage. Yep. Another one that I um, have looked at and do own a tiny sliver of just for interest purposes is Numeri, which is again... Um, is again using it for forecasting purposes. So it's mm. actually a hedge fund that has kind of outsourced uh, quant forecasting, I guess you could say. So oh. um, kind of, yeah, using trying to use machine learning to predict the movement of the share market and everything else, but using a whole lot of quants to go in and make that Crowdsourcing forecast. it basically yeah, and, and then, then using, locking it on the, using on the blockchain. Using that coin to pay them. Yep. It's something I'm interested in. They're launching something later in the year called Erasure, which is then completely crowdsourcing, allow anyone to go and put forecasts on there. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the space I'm looking in, but it's, it's actually been pretty tough, um, to find anything with real world traction. So I guess right. if any listeners are out there, like if they have anything they think has real world, I mean, people in the real world using it day to day, um, I think that'd be interesting. It's just, for me, it's been a space I've been learning a lot more about getting ready to like move forward. And it's, it's interesting that you raised it as a topic because it's really just vanished away yeah. and, and, and maybe there's a bit of baby out with the bathwater phenomenon there. And it's probably safe to say that 90% will probably still go to zero at some, at some point. Yeah. Um, and super risky. And you, what you said you own one and it's a tiny, tiny, tiny amount. Yeah. So it's yeah. no, no way advocating it. I don't own any, um, yeah. it's just too high basket for me, but yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what are we talking about next? Moving away from probably about as far away from <laughs> from yeah. doing hyper new technologies. Uh, Woolworths, Woolies, Woolies. 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 
Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. Well, a couple of things. One, it's probably one of the widest held stocks amongst mum and dad investors. Mm. So a bunch of our, our listeners will will uh, no doubt have it. And and frankly, most of the long-term investors in it, and I mean really long-term, have probably done pretty well. This company has been around for a long time. Yeah, and so it if is, you bought 150 years ago, you are sweet. <laughs> yeah, you are sweet. You know, it's, it's, yeah. and, and so it's got this lovely aura with it. It's very defensive, yeah. obviously, supermarkets and the yeah. rest of it. I think one of the things that's interesting, I, I made this point on, on the telly last week, and I, this is also true of the banks. A lot a lot of these longer term sort of um, phenomena that you can point to with Woolies and the banks actually is not true when you look at it. So over mm. the last five years with dividends, your return has been negligible, like yeah. less than half a percent per year. Um, even if you go back over the last 10 years, I think it's compounded at about five, six percent, but that's just all dividends. So it's kind of moved between 25 and 35 mm. over a 10 year period. Um, that's the share price. But the business itself, I mean, sales are less now than they were 10 years ago. Really? Um, they, I guess they, this is because they cut down some of the things, some of the areas they're operating in. We're not just talking about a Woolies shop down the road, right? It's that's, more like the, the that. Well, group, there's, a, yeah. there's a couple of phenomena here. So I think the big one is a big structural shift. It was very much a, a duopoly. Yeah. And we've had Aldi. Yep. basically come in uh, Costco to a lesser extent there's there's more coming in in that space Amazon is now doing it as well so what impact they've had there is yes taking some of that pie away but what's been really fascinating is how much of an impact they've had on margin so when you have a fairly high cost business high fixed cost business it doesn't take much for your margins to fall mm. before your net profits come back a lot so net margins over the last five years is down from about 8% to 6.4%. Doesn't mm-hmm. sound like a lot. That's huge. That is huge. And and for my money, I, I, I struggle to see how that is going to reverse. When you look at um, uh, other developed markets around the world, supermarkets don't tend to operate on massive net margins, yeah. you know, and that uh, operating margins, I should say. And that, that that's fairly juicy. There's still some way to get ways for it to come back particularly when you've got people starting afresh here like the Aldi's et al who will just say yeah. we were more than happy with the 4% yield we're still better yeah. off than we were last year yeah. so for all of these reasons I was talking about last week I thought shares were a little bit overvalued yeah. um, but, but let's get to the news a couple of couple of things um, first they're going to close 30 big W's big W's just not been doing well uh, yeah. at all um, they're going to close a couple of DC centers as well that's going to cost them 370 million dollars to exit that because you've got to yeah. break your leases there's redundancies uh, not so great um, but so they're still keeping it around. They're, they're keeping it around. Yeah, they're still up. Uh, I think there's 180 the worst, different stores out the there. The worst owls of the big W. They're getting they're getting rid of the the, the really bad ones. Yeah. Um, which which makes sense. Um, it, they've tried to turn it around. There has been some tentative signs of recovery, but mm. just not to the pace that it needs to be. Shrinking to greatness is is the term that they like to use. Shrinking to greatness. Shrink, maybe that's not them, but that's the one okay. that I hear bandied about. Okay. There, bandied about. Very Spanish term, yeah. isn't it? Well, like you're seeing it a lot in the banks too, right? It's just like one, these, these, you see these big trends, and it goes all towards sort of consolidation and into new mm-hmm. verticals, and then it's like, nah, let's you know focus on our core business. And yeah. these, these we're trends. losing to victory. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit crazy. So yeah. anyway, they're doing that. They're, they've sold the petrol business, yeah. 1.1 billion dollars that they've done there. So they yeah. got a bunch of cash. So what they announced, in fact, they announced this not long before we recorded here. So so I haven't really gone into great detail, but they're looking to buy back $1.7 billion worth of shares. And the question, I guess, of course, is, well, how does that work? And is it a good thing? Uh, how big is that in a share of their market cap? How big is like one point? 
was it 1.4 billion? 1.7 billion. 1.7 billion. How big a chunk is that kind of maybe represent? About 4.2% of the company. Okay. It's a very, very substantial chunk. Yeah. So one thing that you can say right away is that it's going to increase earnings per share mm. if you just keep things steady. Um, in fact, the way that the maths works, you're, those who do not participate, who do not sell their shares, their ownership of the business will actually increase by about 4.4% or something mm. around that quantum which is ain't, ain't, ain't too bad. Yeah. And uh, they, these aren't as big here, but they're huge in the US buybacks. Like it's the main way, because we have um, tax advantages for dividends, most companies here don't really do it. But in the US, they're massive. I think the whole US index has a buyback yield, you could say. So like the equivalent of how much they bought back a shares of, you know, two and a half percent or something. And some of them big ones even, you know, can be up to eight, nine percent for some of the large caps. So huge potential opportunities. There. And, and it's actually being debated a lot in the mm. US as well, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, for me, it depends. Yeah. And and this is where it gets interesting. So, you know, Buffett's talked a lot about this in the past and he will say that, you know, whenever shares are below their quote unquote intrinsic value, and we mm-hmm. touched on this last week, what 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 a reasonable person would feel is a, is a reasonable um, value for a company. If you can buy back your own shares at less than that, that's a really good use of capital. That is, you, that is a, um, you are generating a decent return for shareholders. If you are buying back shares at a crazy price or a silly price or above intrinsic value, there's actually a very poor use of capital. And that's where this is kind of interesting. So let's say that they decided to use this $1.7 billion when shares were at $20. Mm. Well, you can buy back a hell of a lot more shares mm. than what you would at, at $30. Um, so, the, so I would say my first reaction was, hmm, doesn't seem like the best opportune time to do it. At the same time, um, they do have a lot of they have many, you know, a lot of money here that they have to return somehow. And it's more it's more interesting than that because the way they are going about it is that there's going to be a capital component and there's going to be a fully franked component. So they're actually going to buy what when you if you participate in this, mm. it'll be a four dollars seventy nine in terms of a capital component, and the mm. rest will be made up of a special dividend, which is fully franked. So Woolies has been in operation for a long, long time. They've got this huge bank and franking credits. They are useless to the company. They, they're totally worthless. They are not worthless to shareholders. Um, so this is a great way to return it, particularly if you were to think, as some do, that maybe Labor is going to win the next election and you're not going to be able to um, get a cash refund on any excess mm-hmm. franking credits. So this is why and this is where it gets interesting a lot of people will go when they look at this offer they'll say wait a second they're offering that price is yet to be determined they're going to do a bit of a tender process but that price is going to be between 10 and 14 percent below the recent trading price Mm. so you think why would i participate in that well the the reason that you would Mm. and the reason why you might actually be better off after tax is that even if it is 14 percent cheaper so maybe that's 26.50 or so Mm. based on the most recent trading price um you when you factor in those franking credits, you are probably better off. So I suspect yeah. a lot of people will want to participate in this. So what's your take overall, though, I guess? We talked about the intrinsic value. Um, you know, you didn't think it looked too cheap. So I guess in this case, they're probably buying above what you think their intrinsic value is, is at. So, yeah. It's it- it's complicated. Mm. And as I said, it's just come out. I, yeah. I, I think on a knee-jerk reaction, it's like, well, if, if the shares are, are above their 
intrinsic value and they're above what I calculate intrinsic value to be. It's not a great use of it, but there is this wrinkle with the franking credits. Um, now, I am never going to be able to do this justice in podcast format, but I would encourage anyone who is a shareholder to get the booklet, get it from the ASX website or get it from, from Woolies. They've actually got some really handy tables in there for all the various, whether you're in super, mm. whatever tax bracket you're on. And they've come up with some scenarios here will help you work out whether or not you want to participate. The thing to remember is, is though, although there are some tax advantages and the rest of it, your first consideration should be, do I want to sell my shares in the first place? If yeah. you're of the, and Lord knows I could be way off base yeah. with this so if, if you were of the view that this is a great company i bought these you know recently with the view to hold it for 20 years then don't don't sell just because of a, a short-term tax benefit um, in fact you will own your your ownership will actually go up about 4.4 percent mm-hmm. um uh, so there's there's a lot of wrinkles to all of this kind of stuff it is very interesting i suspect it'll be very heavily subscribed to a lot of people will want to participate in it but do your own research yeah. i'll, I'll nice. leave it with that fair enough Let's talk shenanigans. about shenanigans. shenanigans. But our shenanigans are cheeky. Yeah, I mean, his shenanigans are cruel and tragic. Which makes them not shenanigans at all, really. Evil shenanigans. I swear to God, I'll pistol whip the next guy that says shenanigans. Crazy shenanigans. Yeah. Those accountants. What are, what are those accountants being up to, Matt? <laughs> I don't know if we should blame the accountants. It's probably more like the management who tell the accountants what they want. That's right. Okay. Um, Yeah, so I've been looking at, actually, there's a really good book called Financial Shenanigans that I've been working through. I'd I'd read it a few years ago, but just came back to it. Um, So I'm thinking about ways to kind of quantitatively measure um, dodginess in companies and kind of use that as a compliment to my investing. So the authors are Howard Shillett and Jeremy Perler. That's right. The book has been, was published first, I think over a decade ago, well over a decade ago, but it's been in publication for a long time because they keep bringing out new versions. So, um, well, accounting rules they change, yeah, I suppose, they change a bit, and, but and it people also get more shows, creative. Yeah, it shows how like popular it is because it is like a good overview. Yeah. Um, and I, a few takeaways for me, but first, I think like why you should care about it. The first is if you're buying individual companies, so you're not just buying an ETF, then you need to have some kind of faith in the business is doing what you think it's doing. And it really gets to like the fundamentals of trusting a business if you can't trust those financials. So there's a huge number of ways that you can be misled. I don't think any um, normal investor would be up on all of them. But mm. I think if you have a sense of what's possible, it can kind of give you, um, maybe you'll see spot one or two and that gives you enough of a kind of a red flag to, to dig deeper. Um, or you can kind of put some together and just be a bit more cautious on the company. So give give us um give us one that is easy for us to get our heads around. What's what's a big red flag that they talk about? Yeah, so there's a few different types. Um, that, that it kind of gets down to why they do it. So basically, there's the earnings, so profit, which mm-hmm. can be manipulated in a bunch of ways to be bigger, or sometimes even lower if you want it the future to be bigger. Yeah. Um. Or so you can, so things sort of like underlying yeah, so normalized they can, they can take you can recognize revenue now which shouldn't be recognized for a few years you can make fake revenue right. um which like like may, may you and i make an agreement so that i give you some money and you give me some revenue back even though you're just returning the same money to right, me right um you can do something one time and make it seem like it's a permanent business you can pay your expenses later all sorts of stuff there's there. timing differences yeah, yeah exactly and i guess the other key point is that it's cash flow as well it's not just purely earnings that do this yeah um and 
and there's been some huge examples like it's really interesting reading through the book because it's us focused but it's like every big company you could ever imagine has done something at some point yeah. you know there's examples with microsoft there's ge there's is everyone yeah. it's not just a small kind of dodgy companies that do something which has been found to be questionable i guess at some point um so that's one i guess in like australia i it, it's it's quite it's interesting to think about how big how prevalent it is i mm. think in the small end of the market it's just they don't even get that sophisticated sometimes yeah um there had been a big case here with with dick smith which you yes. know forager had written up as the greatest private equity heist of all time they do multiple of these so yes. Um, a good one from that case was writing down the value of your inventory to zero. So yeah. all the stock you have, you say it's worth nothing. And then when you sell it, you make a huge profit on it. Yes. They yeah. pull all that cash out of the business and then kind of pay it to themselves or in that case, pay it for an acquisition. Yep. Um, Wasn't um, Big Air doing a bunch of stuff recently been, as well? There's been a lot, um, you know, Big Un. Yeah. Big, big Un. Uh, big Un, sorry. Un, yes, yeah. Yeah. So that was a company sorry. which um, the AFR, Johnny Shapiro, wrote a huge great. takedown great of really expose, good. Yeah. Um, and they were doing a lot of stuff with cash flow, which caught a lot of local investors out because people, there's this myth that cash is cash is king. Cash is king. Yeah. And it's like cash don't lie and all that stuff, yeah. um, which would be great. Well, would be great if it's true but it's not true unfortunately that is um, relatively easy to manipulate as well um yeah but, but how 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 am i going to you know in my ugg boots at home reading my yeah. annual reports how am i what, what are some of the the, the real obvious signs yeah. that there's not i mean here's what i find tricky is that there are um there are often very legitimate reasons to do some of these mm. things and just because you see i think it's always dangerous to always assume something foul is the afoot. Worst. yeah um because there, there can be a lot of these accounting treatments are there for very very good reason mm. um so how do you distinguish between what might be an entirely plausible yeah. use of certain accounting rules versus something that seems a little bit dodgy yeah i guess the first one is to think what they call in the book the breeding ground mm -hmm. so that's probably the first most useful part is thinking through what are the situations that allow a company to do this manipulation so you know do they have a dodgy auditor from perth that has like one client and suddenly that but they're a billion dollar business that kind of stuff seems um, a bit yeah unusual yeah, yeah. Uh, unusual so th those like starting conditions are important to think through do they have good auditors do they have good re re reputations of everyone involved all yeah. these dodgy, you know, dodginess generally um, and then thinking through, I, I kind of think of it as like a mosaic. So basically anything that stands out function mm -hmm. practically. There's things you can look at like our accounts receivable growing, uh, is inventory growing, which means they're not selling as fast, all that stuff. But that's getting into the nitty gritty. Yeah. You probably just Google that or read the book. Days in arrears for that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. You can help There's all to sorts of stuff. Right in the notes of the financial yeah. statements. I think the yeah. biggest catch all is, is there a big difference between profits over time and cash flow over time, yeah. which a lot of us use. Yeah. Um, but ultimately it's about, just reading through and just, just seeing does that make sense mm -hmm. and if it doesn't make sense digging into it more yeah and if you can't get an answer to it maybe kind of lowering your your confidence in the company um and putting those little things together and what i'd consider like a mosaic of of opportunity of yeah. you know risks you could say um i guess the other big thing to keep in mind is that some companies are easier to manipulate than others banks are almost entirely um, made up earnings like banks choose what their profit is by yep. their own assumptions yep. and directionally over the long term that should be good if they're fine but it yeah. can you know that's just one area that we hear about cash profit yeah. versus accounting profit anything yeah. financial related I, I personally don't invest in that much partly for that reason mm -hmm. as it is very easy to manipulate yep. but there's an interesting thing um, which I realized from the book as well is that 
Um, companies making a lot of acquisitions gives them a huge opportunity for this manipulation, like insane ways they can manipulate. So yes. Another another reason to be skeptical, as we touched on last week, of companies that make a lot of acquisitions. Yep. Um, there's some really flagrant cases in the book where you're acquire, about to acquire a company, and so you tell that company to pay all of its expenses for the next year right. before you buy it and to not cash any of its checks from customers for the next year. So the moment yeah. that you buy it, you have the best record ever because they've just prepaid everything. Like crazy stuff like yeah. that. Um, so there's a lot of... A is lot that of illegal, stuff. like out and out illegal or is there a lot of discretion there? Like if it's, it gets proved after the fact, can you just call up it's ASIC a bit of both. Say, like it depends. Yeah. Like some of them are completely legal. Yeah. Um, there was one from many years ago with SoftBank where they acquired a company and what do they do? No, they sold off a company, mm. but then they agreed to um, basically a deal where as part of the, instead of getting acquisition price up front, they got paid a million dollars as revenue every year for like the next 10 years. You know, like weird, which yeah. is all legal and they would have con- completely constructed it fine, but it just distorts all of the, instead of they, they switch that one-time gain into this long growth in earnings. Yeah. And just that, that opportunity, I think just makes you, should make you more, cautious with acquisition acquisitive companies yeah and anything where um the management when you realize the management can just make profits be what they want them to be like we looked at that with some debt collection companies that yeah. we looked at a few years ago yeah. um even like i was thinking back to rfg the um, retail oh, food God. group yeah some of the stuff they had where there's just wherever there's a lot of internal accounting stuff and allocation and you yeah. know there's a fund that they take some things away from whenever you see that there's an opportunity there for yes. manipulation yeah um the more you get away from just pure nuts and bolts the easier it is to simple businesses yeah. are really nice for a lot of reasons but one of them is it's just it's just harder to do a lot of this kind of stuff yeah exactly and I, again to your point i don't think it should be like you spot one red flag and you panic because yes. if you did that you'd probably never own anything yes um and individual companies there's always going to be some stuff you don't know but i think just like picking away you see that loose thread and you keep pulling at it yeah um you know worst case you end up learning a lot more about accounting and you know the way the company works um but in the best case maybe you find something that's just you can't get a good answer for yeah um, and after you've done a bit of digging sometimes you can reach out to the company if I I was going to say once yeah. you've done that homework then you can yeah. then you know what they're looking for a, a lot of yeah. a lot of um, private investors are really reluctant to do that they yeah. feel as though well, you know uh, do I have a right to or they to you know, I, I think if you're going to like you know write to BHB Billiton CFO yeah. you're not going to get an answer no. you'll get something from the IR yeah. guy you know um, but you'd be surprised at how willing um, you are able to communicate with with small cap businesses particularly you know. if you've got good questions yeah. so it's one thing to be like explain every if you just said like tell me what you're doing that's dodgy yeah. and you're not going to get an answer if it's you say totally can reasonable. you explain these three accounting policies or can you like this number that increased a lot from last year why is that yep. and then sanity check it I think that's the way to do it so, especially yeah. especially especially if you are a shareholder you know yeah. I know yeah. no one does it anymore but yeah. go to the annual general meeting like, yeah you own the business. You like, own. They, they are your employees. Yeah. Um, you've got every right to ask. And maybe if you're a little bit shy, there's, there's always a chance to meet. I mean, how many AGMs have you been to where there's like four? Well, you take away the auditors and the staff. There's like four actual yeah. shareholders there. You can you can have a really good chat to the CFO and chairman and stuff. And if you've got legitimate questions, they're more than happy to ask them. And by the way, if they're not, yeah, maybe that's a bit of a red flag. You know, uh-huh. do, do, if you are not willing to engage just for a, you know 20 minute chat with your shareholders. Mm. You particularly your super engaged, long-term focused ones, then 
And that's, for me, that's a real turn off. I, yeah. I, I will probably reject a business on that basis. Yeah, alone. I think that's great. Um, and I think the thing to remember, as you said, like this is a topic for another time as well, but you uh, you own the company. Like yeah. you're not a kind of victim um, when the, you know, when something happens in a business, you are the owner, like the yep. company works for you. Totally. Um, so you can absolutely expect to, you know, and maybe not have a 20 minute call every time that you have any question with the CEO, but you can have, you should have the opportunity to have like a good understanding of the business. And if you're thinking about it, I'm sure others are as well. So. One other thing I'll just pick up on before we wrap all this up is that I think um, I never did any formal accounting uh, mm. at school, university, and I've kind of picked it up bits and pieces along the way. I'm, I'm actually, it's a very, sorry to the accountants out there, but it is a very, very dry topic. And, mm. you know, it's very number heavy. Um, and for a lot of people, perhaps the majority of people, it's just, you know, like watching paint dry. But I would, I would strongly urge anyone who is serious about being a direct investor to spend some time to get your head around some of the big ideas. As you said, Matt, you can get way down the rabbit hole with yeah. some of these things. And I'd, I'd be lying if I said I'm across it all. But the big ideas, you know, what is a balance sheet? Yeah. How does that work? Yeah. You know, uh, what's the structure of the income statement? Why is that important? And there's so many great resources these days for free online, even if it's Khan Academy kind of stuff where there's yeah. really great lessons. You've got to start somewhere. And I think if you do that, it's a bit of work, but the rewards can be massive. A, it can help you avoid some of these big blowups that you're talking about. And two, it just help, it really helps you to understand the economic machinery of a business. Because I think so many of us as investors, we're now narrative-based investors. We like the story. Mm. Back to crypto again. You know, it's yeah, going to yeah, change yeah. the world. You yeah. know, did anyone actually sort of pick through the use case and yeah. understand any of this kind of stuff? Yeah. Not many people did, but those that did do saved a lot yeah. of money. Yeah, absolutely. So. It brings you back to numbers. And I think that simple understanding can sometimes be the best because if you can't understand it simply, that's, there's a good chance they're doing something very complex. 100%. A potential problem. Yep. Mate, uh, let's wrap it up. We can go have a, uh, a nice um, black tea and then yeah. heal up our throats. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We always enjoy your company and we'll be back next week with another version of Three Wise Monkeys. Yep, thank you. Tune in next week. <laughs>